1: Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Thanks for listening, subscribing. If you're a subscriber, Brendan here with Mark, episode 288. 288. Mark, getting close to that 300. We'll have to talk about a, a special episode for that 300, Thursday, March the 30th, 2023. And Mark, are you there? The I'm Brendan. As
0: I said, I've been fiddling around. I now am on a Telstra uh, satellite and. I think the message actually goes from here up into the sky, across to Thursday Island and then up to a satellite. So it's a zigzaggy message today to get on the podcast.
1: Well, there is a tiny bit of a delay, but thank goodness it goes to Thursday Island, Mark, because our podcast goes out every Thursday. So remember, every Thursday, Mark, is the time to log in and listen. And shout out to all our new subscribers and a bit of a shout out to... Uh, also all the nurses in third year of the bachelor of veterinary nursing mark at melbourne polytechnic um i did a session there yesterday and we had a we had a few laughs so it was a good session we did some pra- practical um rounds basically stations with different Different little questions on nursing and uh, pre-anesthetic, anesthetic monitoring, and post-anesthetic care of exotic pets, Mark. So we we chatted about using the equipment or not, um, making up surgical masks, um, the importance of um, uh, induction heat control, all those sorts of fun things, Mark. And apart from that, we had a had a bit of a chuckle <laughs> with. Um, a few a few jokes that people actually laughed at this you, time, Mark. You, so that, um, I think I've got well, my mojo I
0: back. Uh. I don't think you ever lost it. Your <laughs> presentations are always hilarious in a dry, uh, 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 very sarcastic sense of humour that you have. I'm sure there were giggles all over the place. Tell me the joke that you made. We want to share it here.
1: No, there were lots of jokes, Mark. So I can't go down that little rabbit hole. It wasn't just one. I'm not a one pun wonder, Mark. So, so hello to all the um, third year vet student, uh, vet nursing students, and yeah, they're a good mob, and they. Um they were very good, actually. Um, they they knew their stuff, even though it's early in the year and some of the things we went through, they haven't covered fully, but um, they will be excellent veterinary nurses when they get out there, and I'm sure some of them will want to be exotic vet nurses too, so hi to all of them. Um, and also, Mark, I think we need a bit of a shout-out for our Patreons and um, our website, VetGurus.com, and a bit of a request, Mark. I think um, we need a little bit more money to help pay for those increasing costs, all our little little costs of the um, web server and the uh, program we use to record and edit and the hosting service have gone up. So I just want people to think about maybe donating us $10 of their local currency, Mark. It's what, a couple of cu- cups of coffee or maybe only one cup of coffee here in Melbourne, Mark. But and just go to patreon.com um, and look up vet Gurus and become a patron. And you may think you have to join up every month, and you can certainly do that. We'd love that. But you could always just join up for a month and donate the $10 and then log off again and unjoin um, Patreon. And we, we'd still appreciate that very much. So just think, 288 episodes of Continuing Education, and all we're asking is... Uh, Price of a cup of coffee or two so there you go so that's our plug mark and i hear it's raining up your way and it's raining and down this way so i think with that um you need to chat a little bit. We're not. I did mention a, a particular email that we got, but we might do that next week, Mark. So we'll skip over that. I want you to have a chat about one of your favourite subjects, a particular species of bird. Well, it's, it's a very
0: interesting one. subject too, Brendan, and and you and I have talked about it uh, um, sort of less specifically. It's the orange-bellied parrot, and uh, uh, about thirteen months ago, you know, I spent some time down at Melaleuca the location where uh, these birds breed in the summer months. They're famous for travelling 650, 700 kilometres across Bass Strait from Tasmania to Victoria to spend the winter. And and the, the Difficult Birds Research Group from ANU have uh, recently been talking about the way that Uh, captive release programs are sustaining the population but it does look like that Um, it's not actually growing it sort of reached a little bit of a plateau over the four the last four or five years and while 40 to 60 captive release birds uh, make their way to the wild population um, it would appear that um, the vast majority of those birds don't Go on to contribute to the reproductive success of the population. Um, so it is uh, sad, and it raises several interesting questions. Do we keep doing this? How, why? Why do these birds fail to? Uh, you know, they seem to be dying. Um, they just are not found. Um, and so, why are they dying? Um, there's a whole lot of extra research. Are they new predators in there? Their uh you know the spots they stop on their migration um uh and is this you know is this really uh the classic zombie population a uh, a canned group of a couple of hundred birds that are just a, an echo of a wild population that we're artificially sustaining and should we be spending millions of dollars doing this, or are there better ways to support the wild environment? I don't have so many questions. And no answers, Brendan,
1: yes, yes, it's the unending question or questions. Mark. Should we stop supporting a particular species that may become extinct if we if we um regardless of how much money we we throw at it, should we keep the species alive just as a stamp collection, Mark, in in zoos or or institutions uh, if it can't survive out in the wild or should we keep throwing money at it and and hope that it does manage to recover? Um, I think the difficulty here is obviously what you pointed out there and that that, that we're still not quite sure or or they or who, whoever they are, aren't quite sure what the underlying key problems are, Mark, um, that's afflicting this wild population of orange Bellied parrots, so yes, if you have a thought on it send us an email vetgurus at gmail.com um but yeah we've we've discussed this many times haven't we with lots of different endangered species or species that have finally succumbed and become extinct mark and it also ties in with our philo- philosophical disu- discussions about you know restoring you know um from DNA you know to, um, um, species that have become extinct and, and whether Um, We should spend money at potentially doing that as well. So lots of questions, Mark. Not many answers. (laughs) And as always, I feel jealous that um, you managed to see the areas where this particular species um, bred or or, um, left from in Tassie and um, a couple of the other endangered species you were chatting about that you've managed to have experience with um, my new story mark It's a really quick one and it's a quick fun one and it's um, sort of highlights some of the things that we've been chatting about with husbandry generally it's about university of queensland vets have saved a green tree python mark that decided to ingest or partially ingest a puppy pad one of those absorbent puppy um, pad liners that they were using as a substrate mark in the enclosure, and UQ vets at Gatton, um, Dr. Mark Owens, who's the internal medicine st- specialist, and Caitlin Mack um, removed it, Mark, via a flexible endoscope, which they passed down, and the, that's a good thing about snakes, <laughs> isn't it, Mark? Whoa, just w- one big long tube, and it's always good to throw throw an endoscope in there or up there depending on which end you're looking at and some great little pictures there and we'll link to that on their website of the procedure where they managed to remove this puppy pad and yeah it's just a bit of a bit of a a warning or a reminder of um, making sure that we're we have appropriate substrates in our enclosures for the animals and um you know, I don't think there's one substrate is there, Mark, that's one hundred percent safe that's never going to be ingested by the species that's in that enclosure, but there's certainly others that are safer than um, some substrates. and yeah, have you ever had a puppy pad being eaten by a reptile? Indeed, I have,
0: Brendan, and it's it sort of fits neatly with our recent uh, podcast on foreign bodies in in uh, in reptiles, uh, particularly snakes. And um, and yeah, they can. It also points to the fact that in production systems, many of these places that keep reptiles will have large numbers of them, and so you can't monitor. You know, the 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 um, prey item might be dropped in four or five enclosures all at once, and um, but it's it's always much yep. better because exactly as you said, if they if something can go wrong, it definitely will. Um, And if you're watching it, then you can sort of intervene at a stage before um, it ends up being um, something that requires
1: an endoscope to resolve. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Now... I've got an interesting main topic Mark it's going to be a really punchy <laughs> one and you've inspired me over the last few podcasts so I and you can count me down Mark you can count me down but we are going to do five fantastic fun I ferret facts I love the alliteration. and I know we've done some ferret facts before but these are these are some I think all of them maybe not all of them we we have not covered before I so do you want to count I me down I want you to Mark. tell me the fifth fun fact about
0: ferrets that uh, is on your list.
1: <laughs> Fantastic um. fun fact, Mark. Number five, floppy ferret. Floppy <laughs> ferret. You've just, you just, Hold you in just ferrets. every You'll, word. You're going to love
0: this. That begins with an F <laughs> and try to stick it in one sentence.
1: Uh, don't, don't wreck my mojo, Mark. I'm on a roll here. Um, floppy ferrets. Holding ferrets by the scruff, Mark. And we... I often, when I'm teaching, I often say don't scruff any of these animals because it's probably not a good thing to do because it doesn't really work and it often stresses the animal out. But ferrets are one of those exceptions where there are particular situations where I would consider doing a scruff of a ferret mark where we're scruffing that ferret up really high just between the ears. Um, if If you scruff them in the neck area there like you might do in a puppy or a kitten, then it may turn around and chomp on you. But if you scruff most ferrets fairly briefly for a couple of minutes or so, it's a great way to do a brief little examination where you might be doing something like clipping those nails, Mark, or giving that vaccination for the ferret. And the trick to it, Mark, is just using one hand, not supporting the rest of the body. So you're having that ferret dangle. And um, the reason why I had this one on the list is I was showing it to one of the um, staff or a client um, last week, Mark. And uh, if you start supporting that backside or those back legs, then it will... Crack it, Mark, and it will will will, um, will um, start to get um, fired up. And uh, they literally just go extremely floppy, and and up to you know three or four minutes or so. Eventually, they they've had enough of it. But it's a great little technique, I think, um, for holding them to do something like a nail click or, or give it a clip or a, give it a an injection mark. So floppy ferret is number five, Mark.
0: Uh, with the floppy ferret do you find i find in that situation that they almost invariably yawn so it gives me an opportunity
1: to have a quick look in their mouth if i'm prepared absolutely yes so Definitely. Number four. 99 percent of them will do this little yawn number four mark if it's nqr then feed it right so it's if it's not quite right then feed it right what does that mean well it's amazing how many ferrets I've seen that are just NQR, as I say in the states, not quite right. That might be put in the, in the um clinical history. Then think about diet, and it's amazing how many of them that have got have weird signs, and I think it's got some you know new disease going on there. It might have weird neurological signs. It might be a poor growing ferret. It might be a ferret that's just lethargic and just not interacting much with its owners or its environment think diet Mark and it's amazing how many of these that if their diet is not good and remember we're dealing with a strict carnivore and it's crazy some of the diets that ferret owners will put their ferrets onto. Um fix that diet and put them on what I usually do with them if the diet suspect put them onto one of the good quality kitten dry foods mark, the premium quality kitten dry foods. And four to six weeks later, wham bang, you have a new ferret QR. mark. So that's number four. If it's not quite right, feed it right. If it's NQR, yes. make it QR. Yes. What is number three? Can you hear me, Mark? Can, can you hear, you, hear you, me is number three, Mark. And we've spoken about this one before. We've just spoken about this one before. Ferret ears and the brown waxy discharge, Mark. We harp on about this all the time in that it's a very common finding with ferrets that we have ferret ears and brown waxy cerumen and or discharge there. So, what we need to do is every ferret as part of the clinical examination, have a think about poking a a cotton bud with a little bit of water or saline down those ears and clean out those ears, Mark. And I will prob- try and find the link to the previous episode that we talked at length about this, Mark, but... Brown waxy ears are very common in ferrets aren't they're they, hugely
0: common and you're exactly right brendan we need to make sure that we have a look down the ears and after you've had a look in their mouth you've scruffed them looked in their mouth swing the otoscope up around over their ears before they become all wiggly again i reckon those ears are worth a peek down
1: what's number two number two we're getting there mark we're getting close to number one Number two, don't forget the Ds, Mark. Don't forget the Ds. What the hell am I talking about? Well, we're talking about the five Ds, Mark. Diet, desexing, distemper, so vaccination, dirofilariasis, so heartworm, and dental care, Mark. So it's a good thing to, a little mnemonic, mnemonic I suppose. Um, diet, desexing, vaccination, heartworm, and dental care, So the five days, Mark. Don't forget the five days with preventative health with ferrets. It makes it easier
0: to do that whole consultation. If you have a mnemonic, you can just like tick off the five, four, three, two, one. Speaking of which, leads us to what is number one? What is the number one fun, fantastic fact about
1: ferrets that gets your blood (laughs) boiling, Brendan? I don't know whether it's that fantastic now that I look at it here, Mark. But anyway, number one is I'm bored. I'm bored, Mark. Think about environmental enrichment for ferrets. so Because they're very, very, very inquisitive animals. So think about providing tunnels, boxes, play items, um, plastic, plumbers, pipe, um, and constantly moving them around so it's got tunnels to play with because... They get bored, Mark. They get very bored and they're very cheeky animals, aren't they? So if they're very bored and the owner gets them out to have a little play around the, the lounge room or the, or the house environment, that's when they're more likely to get into trouble and they like to chew on things they shouldn't and end up with intestinal obstructions or chew on a power cord, etc. cetera. So provide environmental enrichment, Mark. That's number one. So think about... These five fantastic fun ferrofax, the next ferret you see, floppy ferret. If it's not quite right, then feed it right. Can you hear me? Make sure you look at those ears and and see if we have that brown discharge in the ears. Don't forget the five Ds, Mark, and I'm bored environmental enrichment. But I'll tell you what, Mark, because I've learned from the master, I'm going to provide a A bonus bonus. one, Mark. A bonus top point as well. Bonus is fake fur, Mark, fake (laughs) fur, fake ferret fur. Um, So what the hell is Brendan talking about? Abnormal malts, Mark. Abnormal malts are common in ferrets, in my experience anyway. And a lot of vets make the mistake of suddenly jumping to thinking that This ferret has adrenal gland disease because it has a bit of a ratty tail or it has a little bit of fur loss along its trunk. And my advice would be don't panic. The ferret's not going to die tomorrow from this condition. Have a think about the possibility that this could be an abnormal molt mark. And like a lot of species, we often keep ferrets in an inside environment or a warm environment. So they're normal molting sort of seasonal um, period of malts will not occur. So give it some time, Mark, is what I'm saying. So you might wait two or three months and presto, that ferret has a beautiful coat again. So don't think we need to jump straight into diagnostics. I mean, you can certainly offer the diagnostics and work up for the thought of potential adrenal gland disease and fur loss, etc. But always... Consider the fact that it may just be an abnormal malt in the ferret. That's the bonus that one. That bonus
0: though. fact is a great tip, Brendan. And all that information about ferrets is uh, it, it, it's good because of the bits and pieces that haven't been included largely in other podcasts. So excellent, fun five facts about ferrets. I love them.
1: Fantastic, fun, (laughs) facts! Thank you very much, Mark. And I think with that, um, we've been a little bit laggy with our um, production here, so we're talking over each other a little bit. But with that, um, thank you all for listening and we will hear from you all next week and send us an email. Thanks for listening to The
0: Vet Podcast by The Vet Gurus.